Yeah. What up? I'm Nick, and uh, I'm going to be speaking today. So um, today I'm going to be speaking out of Luke chapter 7. Let's see if you guys have um, your Bibles. And if you look on the screen, I'm just kidding, there's nothing there. <laughs> Made you look. <laughs> yeah, now if you look on the screen, there's something there. All right. Um, let me pray first, and then uh, we'll get into it. Um, Father, thank you so much for this day, and we thank you, Father, for who you are. God, you're a God of light, and you're a God of love. I mean, these things are actually who you are, and we just ask that you would come, and you would fill our hearts today. I pray, Father, that your word would go forth, that it would bear incredible fruit, and that, Lord, your name would be exalted. So, Father... Uh, teach us today. We love you. We thank you, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, I'm just going to start reading, and uh, as I'm reading, we're going to kind of break these things down. Um, Luke chapter 7, starting in verse 36, it says, one of the Pharisees came to Jesus to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner. Let's stop right there, dude. How, how much would it suck if your reputation in the city was the sinner? <laughs> like, everyone just knows you as that person. Like, if you didn't notice, like, this story doesn't even give the woman a name. It's a nameless and a faceless person who is only known as a sinner. I can't imagine that, you know. So she, she learned that uh, Jesus was reclining at table, was eating with um, the Pharisee at his house. And when she heard that, she brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my hair with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but, the time, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. 
And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Um, yeah, I really like this story. Um, I'm sure this is like a, a story that you guys are pretty well familiar with. Um, but something that I wanted to highlight today is uh, I think a lot of times when people read this story, they like to focus on um, the alabaster flask. And, you know, it really was an expensive thing. Um, but today, um, I wanted to focus really on the difference between the woman and the difference between her and Simon. I really wanted to highlight her devotion. You know, um, it's crazy. I, the Bible talks about how when this woman came into the house of Simon the Pharisee, and when she sees Jesus, like the first thing that happens is she begins to weep. Now, the difference between weeping and crying is that uh, when you cry, tears come out of your face, right? And you go, <laughs> right? But when you weep, you actually start to make sounds, right? It's the one where it's like, <laughs> I heard some, some people crying like that yesterday, <laughs> right? Like, weeping is like, it like, there's like something that like, it's, it's so deep and it's so much more powerful than just crying. And, when, and, and she sees Jesus, and the first thing that she does is she weeps. The next thing that she does is she uses those tears to clean his dirty feet. And then she uses her hair to clean it and wash it and to scrub it and to wipe away the dirt. And then she takes her most precious possession and she breaks it at the feet of Jesus and uses that to anoint his feet. I think that's crazy. Like I said, like this woman, she was, there's no name. There's no other description of her other than she was a sinner. But I think she just outdid all of us in her affection toward Jesus. I think she just outdid all of us. And I, I, I see her, and I'm like, man, huh? how could she love Jesus so much? I think when we read this story, it's like, man, she loved Jesus like crazy. In fact, people thought that she was crazy. <laughs> but when you're in love with someone like Jesus, you're either crazy or you're telling the truth. You're either crazy or you're living in who God really is. And so I wanted to break down her, uh, her devotion for us today. And I want to kind of break down the story. So this woman, she was understood to be a sinner. And this is actually what ends up happening. You know, as the church, we're called to be holy, right? And this idea of holiness is actually, it kind of breaks down into these two different ideas of being light, but also being love. And we can't be holy if we're just one or the other. If we're only light, then we're, we become sort of like the Pharisees, and we just call it, well, that person's a sinner. Separate yourself from that person. Don't mingle with that person, 
and just keep mingling with other people who are holy and, and light just like you. That's what happens when we lean too much on this side. But if we lean too much on the side of love, then it's like, man, they're living in sin, but not going to do anything about it. Right? And, and so we actually, the, the struggle of a Christian is finding the balance between both. It's to be both light and love so that people can actually see who God really is. He's both of those things. Now, what happened here is the, the Pharisees, they, they, they pushed all the way over here. Like, if you didn't know, like, they would teach people, don't even eat with sinners. Don't eat with Gentiles, right? So they wouldn't eat with non-Jews. Not only that, they wouldn't even eat with sinners. So Jews who were just labeled as sinners, right? Like, they were a very, a very exclusive group. <clears throat> What we can see here is that sometimes our value for clean, like spiritual cleanliness and purity can take us out of the world and it can cut us off from true compassion. But the reason why we end up going on to this side is because we see their flaws, but we don't see ours. Right? Every judgment call that, or every critique that we give to the world or to another person, we should be giving ourselves that same critique. Right? It's, it's like, man, every Facebook post that I make, and it's, it sucks because people don't know my heart. Right? And I'm not good at communicating on social media. But every critique that I give about the church, I do it with so much love. Like almost every post that I make, I'm like in tears before I make that post. Right? And I'm doing it with so much love, but it's all, I also understand it's because, man, I critique myself five times more than I critique the church. <laughs> right? That one critique, I understand that I failed in that way too, and that's why I'm giving that critique. Right? I understand that like, it's, it's not just this. I understand my own weaknesses, and that's why I give it. Right? But sometimes when we're living in the light, we can become so focused on living in the light that we, don't, that we actually failed to let the light pierce our own heart. And that's, that's what happens. That's how we become like a Pharisee. And what we see is this is exactly what happened in this story. You know, we're called to call out someone's sin, but we ought to first look at ourselves and see our own sin before we call it out in someone else. Because from that place, we can have real compassion for that person. I understand that you're dealing with this, and it's not right, but let me help you in it, right? I can be patient with that person because I understand that God has been so patient with me. I can have compassion, love, and care even though they're sinning over and over and over again because, man, I sin over and over and over again, but Jesus is still with me, right? And another thing I want to breakdown is is this woman's devotion now she's weeping because she sees the beauty of Jesus right it's such a visceral reaction like imagine like you step in and she just sees Jesus and then she just starts weeping and if I was there I'd be like whoa what the heck is going on right like why why is this person getting so emotional instantly right upon looking at this person She's weeping because she sees the beauty of Jesus. Her heart was so connected to him that when she saw Jesus, she began to break down. 
I, I don't know. Like, it's almost like when people, they're like crazy fans of a celebrity. And then when they see that celebrity, they're like, oh, my God. And then they start crying, right? Like, dude, calm down. It's just a person, right? But you can tell that that person's heart is like so attached and so connected to this celebrity that when they see it, it's like, I can't believe it. It's, 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 it's that guy or it's that girl that, that I've looked up to my entire life. It's that person that I, I, I just, I'm, I'm they don't know me, but I'm like their disciple, you know, like they taught me everything that I knew and I can't believe I'm seeing them right now. You know, it's like almost the same reaction, but it's actually even more powerful because the next thing that she does is she begins to clean his feet with her hair or with her tears and with her hair. You know, Romans chapter 12, verse 1 says, Therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable, which is your spiritual worship. Many times when we read that verse, we think, oh, like present myself as a living sacrifice. That means, you know, stop playing video games. I always use video games because that's just what PD always says, right? Stop playing video games. For me, it's like stop dancing, whatever it might be. But actually, the Bible doesn't say to to be a living sacrifice is to give up desire. The Bible says to be a living sacrifice is to present your body. This thing that we are living in right now, present your body as a living sacrifice. It's more than just desire. It's, a, it's an actual practical submission of your body to God. And we see that in this woman. She uses her tears. She, she uses her tears. She uses her hair. She submits her body in serving the Lord Jesus. Right? She didn't just give Jesus her heart, but her body too. She surrendered herself fully to him, submitting her body for the benefit of Jesus. Another thing that she does is she kisses his feet and, he, and she anoints them with ointment, right, with, it's really just like this perfume, it smells, right, what we see here is that she's pouring out her affections, right, she is constantly kissing Jesus's feet, she's constantly pouring out her affections to Jesus, and her most prized possession, this alabaster flask, you've probably heard so many stories about it. You know, the, the numbers always range. People say it costs $2,000. Some people say it costs $60,000. All I know is it costs a buttload of money, okay? Like, it's one of her most prized possessions, and she would use this as a dowry for when she would get married. And so she's like, you know, for a woman at that time too, like, everything was about marriage for her. Everything was about her, about her reproducing and giving kids. And that's how women were kind of seen as um, valuable people in society, right? It's like, can you produce babies so that you can carry on um, the, the human generation, right? And so she gives up this thing, her entire livelihood pretty much, at the feet of Jesus. But if you notice, like, she does this so easily. She had this in mind. She's like, man, when I, when I, it's not like you carry, you know, $60,000 in your pocket. But she, so she intentionally chose, I'm going to, I'm going to go and see this guy and I'm going to bring this thing and I'm going to break it at his feet, right? He, des he deserves at least this. 
And so she comes and it's no problem for her to just lavish him with her affections and with her possessions. It's no problem for her. So again, looking at this woman, her devotion to Jesus, I think, shames all of us. <laughs> right? We get, a little, we get a little timid. We get a little afraid of, of coming up to the altar and crying before other people or, or, or having to scream and shout if that's what the Spirit is prompting within us, right? But this is not to shame us. It's, I want us to see, like, I mean, I'm going when I, to when I finish this, we'll see. I want us to see that this is, this is who we're called to be. We're called to follow in the example of this nameless and faceless woman. Right? God is so amazing. How women were seen as the bottom of this society, but how he used her story to set an example for all of us for eternity. Right? God, God is for women too. Right? Anyways. I want to then keep moving down. If we look, right, after, so, you know, she's pouring out her affection, devotion. Simon, the Pharisee, he says this to himself. Like, like I don't know if he's, like, muttering it and Jesus hears it or if he's just thinking it in his mind and Jesus just reads his mind. I don't know, but that would be cool if he read his mind. But it says, um, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who's touching him for she is a sinner. And then Jesus says, hey, look. Simon, I got a story to tell you. He tells this story, right? There were two people who owed a guy money. One owed 500, you know, let's just call it, one owed like $50,000, the other person owed $5,000, right? But the guy canceled both of their debts. Which person do you think would love the guy more? And Simon, he says, you know, the one, I suppose, who had the larger debt. And Jesus is like, yep, you're right. And then, he, and then he turns and he does this. He begins to compare Simon with the woman. Now, why does he do this? It's not to demean Simon, actually. Right? He's not trying to call out Simon and demean him and condemn him. But what he's trying to show is he's trying to show a difference between Simon's love for Jesus and the woman's love for Jesus. You see, Simon, I'm sure he thought that he loved Jesus, right? He invited him into his home. Jesus, man, you're so awesome. Like, dude, I want you to come over. I'll, I'll, I'll prep you a meal. I'll, I'll, I'll do all this stuff, right? It's not that Simon didn't love Jesus, but Jesus is trying to show Simon what real love looks like. So he goes in and he starts to compare um, Simon's love with the woman's love. And he says this, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my hair with her tears and wiped them with her hair. That's the first one. Second one, you gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not sit, ceased to kiss my feet. Third one, you did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. He's trying to show just how great this woman's love is for him. You see, <laughs> Simon assumed that he loved Jesus more than this sinner, right? That's what he assumed. 
That's why he began to judge her and think like, dude, like, what, is, what the heck is this person doing? What an indecent display. How shameful it is for her to do something like this. Right. Simon believed that he loved Jesus more than her, and this is why Jesus is giving this critique. Right. You know, Simon, he opens up his house. <laughs> Can you believe this? When was the last time you had a stranger just walk into your home? I don't, I've never had a stranger walk into my home. But Simon had a stranger walk into his home, right? <laughs> he had this random person walk into his home, just come and just do these weird things. But why, how did this woman even get into the house in the first place? Have you ever asked that question when you read this? You know, like, how the heck did this woman get here? You know what I realized? I realized it's because Simon kept his doors open because he wanted people to see that Jesus was eating at his house. Right, if you look down to verse, uh, verse 49, then those, um, then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Man, there, he had like a party with Jesus, right? He was inviting so many different people. And these are not his disciples, right? These are just other Jews, right? Because they're like, what, Jesus forgives sins, right? His disciples are already like, yeah, I've seen him do it, you know? So these are just random Jews, which means his, his door is open. You see, Simon, he, what, he was, what he thought was this. If I love Jesus, I'm going to gain something from it. If I love Jesus, I'm going to gain something from this, right? It's going to help bolster my identity, my reputation, who I am. But you see, this woman, she gave, you know, she didn't care. I was about to say she gives no Fs. <laughs> Am I allowed to say that on this thing? <laughs> she didn't care. Because she wasn't concerned about what her love can get her. She wasn't concerned about what she can gain from Jesus. All she cared about was what she could be doing for him. You know, John F. Kennedy, he says, it's not about what your country can do for you, but for what you can do for your country. He took that from the Bible, right? It's not what you can do for Jesus. I mean, not what Jesus can do for you, but it's what you can do for Jesus because he's already done everything for you. So he's comparing, contrasting because he wants to reveal that Simon's desire, to, Simon's desire was to see what Jesus could do for him. The woman's desire was to see what she could do for Jesus. Now, if we break it down even more, he goes down and he says, which is the confusing part for most people, is, therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. Now, when people hear this, they tend to think two things, right? <laughs> which is kind of funny. They think this. One, maybe I should sin a little bit more then, right? <laughs> Like, if, if, if you know, because the assumption is I'm not sinning enough, so I can't love Jesus that much, right? So maybe I got to sin a little bit more. Trust me, I heard someone say this, okay? I'm not making this up. Someone was like, well, then maybe I should sin more. I was like, dude, what the heck? All right, and obviously, anyways, number two, number two is this, man, then I'll never love Jesus a lot. Because I don't, I don't sin as much as that guy, right? Now, here's the thing. 
These two things fail to see the reality of who you really are, right? You, number one, maybe you have to sin more. No, you don't have to sin more. You just have to, you already sin a lot, right? <laughs> you don't have to sin more. You, you sin every day, right? <laughs> so you, number one, take that out of the picture, right? Number two, man, then I'll never love Jesus a lot. No, no, no. Oh, come on, man. You sin so much. Everyone has the capacity to love Jesus the same way that this woman loved Jesus. Everyone has the capacity to love Jesus the way that Paul loved Jesus, the way that Peter loved Jesus, the way that John loved Jesus. The problem is not the world or Jesus or God. The problem is that you don't see yourself in your true light. Jesus wasn't saying this to tell Simon, you don't sin as much as this woman. That's why you don't love me that much. He's not saying that. He's saying, she knew how much of a sinner she was. And that's why she loves me so much. You know, going back, like, nameless, faceless, the only thing that we know about her identity for all of eternity is that she's a sinner. <laughs> right? I don't, we, we never, anyways. But what we see is that, some, what I tell people is this, what we see is this. Sometimes growing up in church, you think that you're good, you're light, you're holy. And that's how we can judge people outside of it. You know, the number one reason why a lot of people don't, not the number one, but the most common reason and, and, and excuse that I hear for why people don't want to come to church is because of this. They're going to judge me. And I ask them, do you have any real stories of people judging you? No, I don't. Okay. But why do they feel this way? Because I think there's a particular atmosphere and a particular, the way that we communicate with one another, the way that we um, talk with one another, the way that we, um, I just want to get that out of the way, the way that we, the way that we talk about God and the way that we talk about sin, sometimes it can feel like we're on the high horse if that makes sense. Hmm, I just had a brain fart. Number one reason. Oh, well. completely forgot. Oh, well, I'm just going to keep moving on then. All right. What we see here is the story, right? Like, how, what's the secret to loving God deeply, passionately, and extravagantly? You know, um, whenever I talk with people, you know, this is not to say anything, but I'm, I'm thankful to God because of this. But when I talk to people, the, 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 the one thing that they always tell me is like, man, you really love Jesus, right? Um, and I'm just like, yeah, you know. And people always ask me, how do you love Jesus so much, right? How do you keep a fire for God continually burning every single day, right? 
how, how is it that you've never experienced a dry season, right? And, uh, you know, I just tell people it's because I actually just know how much of a sinner I am, okay? I let the word of God pierce my heart and tell me all the things that I'm doing wrong. I'm not afraid to see how much of a sinner I am. And sometimes it's hard to see it, but, I, you know, even though it's hard to see, you know, like when we watch scary movies, like, mommy, right? <laughs> like, I'm like that, like, no, I don't want to see my sin. You know what I hit, but I'm like, ooh. <laughs> right? It's not, a fun, it's not a fun business to see who you really are. Right? We like to disillusion ourselves and put on masks and say that everything's okay. Right? That's why we have to look at the mirror all the time. No, I look good. Take pictures in the right angle. No, I look good. Right? We have to. Right? In order, in order to keep... Um, our heart in a healthy place, and that's not a bad thing, right? I'm not saying we always have to be depressed, always have to dive deep into sin. That's also unhealthy. But what I'm saying is, is man, if you know how much God has forgiven you, there's the only response, actually, is a passionate love for Jesus. Right? When I got saved, um, I, I knew that, like, he forgave all, all things. That's why, man, I've sinned some, I've done some pretty bad sins after getting saved, right? <laughs> but every single time, I wasn't ashamed of coming into the presence of God, right? I was like, man, right, I could share a little bit, being sexually immoral with this girl, right? Usually, that's what cuts people off, right? I'm, I'm sure, don't raise your hand, but I'm sure many people I'm sure many people can be like, yeah, that, I feel far from God because of that particular reason, right? Please, I'm not trying to shame you guys. Just trying to set myself as an example, <laughs> right? Man, usually that's the, that's the deal breaker. That's what keeps you away. But actually when I was doing it, it's, it's what kept me close. Isn't that weird? It's like weird. Don't, don't sin, but, but it's weird, yeah. And that's where I experienced so much breakthrough. That even in the midst of my sexual immorality, God was still loving me. Now, he wasn't approving of what I did. And he ended up, right, and then disciplining me. (laughs) But it was so good. (laughs) I mean, it was one of the hardest seasons of my life, yes. But I felt so, so loved. (laughs) It sounds weird. Let me communicate that better. <laughs> I felt so loved because I knew that God did not give up on me. I felt so loved because I knew that, that he had other promises for me. I felt so loved because, because he wasn't someone who was like, hey, you're sinning. I can't spend time with you anymore. He was someone, hey, you're sinning. You have to get closer to me. It's the type of thing where we sin and we think that we have to run away from God. But actually when we sin, it's God who comes out to run after us. And he comes to grab us and he comes to bring us back inside. He comes to show us that, man, there is no sin, there's no darkness, and there's no chain that can separate you from me. Once you're mine, you're mine, and I'm going to be faithful to you all the way to the end. I never reject anyone. The only person that doesn't have me is because they left me. I never left anyone. That's, that's God. 
if we come to see that he's forgiven us of all of our sins, past, present, and future, that means when we sin, we have full confidence to come before him. Because it's already been forgiven by the blood of Jesus. Now we still repent, but we don't let it condemn us. What is condemnation? It's separation from God. We don't let our sins separate us from God. We're not, that, we're not that kind of people anymore. We're people who have been fully forgiven so that we can walk in freedom. Sometimes people say it's hard to teach people that you've been fully forgiven of your sins. Why? Because they might take that as a license to sin. Now, if they take that as a license to sin, they don't actually understand what I'm saying. Because, but I have to teach this because you need to know the truth. And it's the truth that's going to set you free. It's the truth that will set you free. And the truth of the gospel is this. You've been forgiven of all your sins. Every single one of them. And so now live for him. The problem is not in the message. The problem is in the people who receive that message. Because we believe that we've been forgiven of our sins. And we say, yeah, he forgave me of all my sins. But in reality, once we sin, then why do we turn away from God? Right? If you knew that he forgave you of it. And that you can come before him. And that he will transform you and renew you and wash you clean over and over and over again. Because that's what a good father does. But we don't, sometimes we, we actually don't actually believe it. You know what I'm saying? Because we let our sins separate us from God. Does that make sense? We can't walk that way anymore. You see, the last thing that Jesus says is he says, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Now, I want to attack this idea. It comes with the new atheism movement, and it's something that actually all of us have been influenced by, right? It's this idea that faith is blind, right? The reason why people and these new, new atheists, right, Richard Dawkins, Christopher, the late Christopher Hitchens, I forgot the third guy because he was an old guy anyways. <laughs> he was, like, really old. <laughs> I think his name was, like, Donald or something like that. You, you know if your name is Donald, you're probably from the past century, right? <laughs> it's the same with my brother. My brother's name is Douglas. You know if your name is, you know that your name is Douglas. <laughs> you know, you're living in the past century. Anyways. <laughs> and then the other person is Sam Harris, right? These are the four horsemen of the new atheistic movement. And they teach that faith is blind, right? But the reason why they teach that is because there was an entire generation of Christians who could not give a defense for the reason for their hope. There was a whole generation of Christians who did not understand why they believed what they believed. And when they were challenged in their faith, all they can say is, it's a mystery. Uh, you just got to have faith. There was no reason for their faith. The thing is, biblical faith, right, this is the reason why atheists and Christians don't understand each other. Atheists say, faith is blind. Christians are like, where the heck did you get that idea? Because the Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible never teaches that faith is blind. Jesus, he says, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. You see this woman, where did her faith come from? If you read, this is Luke chapter 7. If you read Luke chapter 1 to 7, you'll come to see how she came to know this. 
Jesus was going around and he was doing ministry. He was casting out demons. He was healing the sick. Not only that, he was eating with sinners. He was eating with tax collectors. He was eating with prostitutes. People that the Jews were like, you have to separate yourself from them because we're called to be holy, right? She knew all of this. And what she heard, she believed in. If, right? Jesus chose a tax collector who was known to be one of the greatest sinners in their society because these were pretty much traitors, right? They sided with the, with the, Rome, with the Romans instead of siding with their people, and they were extorting money from their own people in order to get selfish gain. Now, Jesus, he chose a tax collector to be one of his apostles, right? I think that's in Luke chapter 5. I'm sure when this woman heard that even that Jesus chose even a tax collector to be one of his closest, um, his closest friends. And she knew that if Jesus did that for Levi, to that tax collector, not only can he do it for me, not only will he do it for me, but he's done it for me. Right, we share testimonies and we share stories about who we are and we end it with, this can be something for you. But the reality is, it's not something that can be done for you as if it hasn't been done already. It's something that has already been done for you and something that you just have to accept. Faith is not blind. She heard the stories. She, she saw how, she, how he was even, even eating with the Pharisee, right? Her faith wasn't blind. It was grounded in something real. It was grounded in, in people's testimonies, eyewitness stories. And guess what? Why did she come to this house? Jesus says, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. That's why she is loving you so much right now. When did Jesus forgive her of her sins? It's not in this story. You see, the forgiveness of sins, it doesn't matter if you feel the presence of God around you or not. What, is, what matters is your faith. If you believe in God today, if you believe in Jesus today, that he can forgive you of all your sins, you will experience that forgiveness. You will experience that love wherever you're at. It doesn't matter, right? We have people in here who got saved in other countries, people in here who got saved at church, people in here who got saved in their bedroom, people in here who got saved in the car, right? It doesn't matter where you're at or what the feeling of the room is. What matters is your faith. This woman already experienced the love of God before she even came into Simon's house. She already knew that she was forgiven of her sins before she came to Simon's house. 1 John chapter 4, verse 19 says, right, it's not that we love God, but it's that he loved us first. And it's when he loves us first, right? Why, that, why, why, you know, I, I was saying, like, people say that, wow, you love Jesus so much. I just see that as a testimony to God because it's not that I love God, it's that he loves me, right? It's not about our love for him, but it's about his love for us. And when we let him love us the way that he wants to love us, 
then you'll be a passionate believer. Then you'll be someone fully in love with God. It's not about how hard uh, or, or how hard you pray or how much feeling and excitement and hype that you can muster in yourself. That's not it. It's about this, John chapter 3. John chapter 3 verse, uh, verse 19 says, And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the, comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out by God. Now, how do we come to love God more? We have to be honest and truthful with ourselves. Because when we do that, we step into God's light. And he shines on us. And at first, it's not pretty, right? You know, my eye is all rashy, right? I got pimples like, uh, I have a rash right here, right? It's not, it's not pretty when God's light shines on us. But it's because it's not meant to show how beautiful we are, but it's meant to show how beautiful he is. And when we see who we are and we step into that light, that's the opportunity for God to come and pour out his love over you. And man, you can experience this every single day. All it takes is the word. Um, Hebrews chapter 4 says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. I imagine it like this. Like his sword just comes and it stabs me, and it goes, and just exposes everything. I don't know if you've seen those books, those, like, pop-up books where you open it, and then it has, like, the 3D pictures on it, right? It pops out. It's like that. You know, he stabs it and goes, oh, you can just see it. Next verse says, and no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Did you know that even though we try to hide our sin, God, he already sees it. You know that when we try to clothe ourselves, God already sees that you're naked and exposed. I see every little thing. But did you know that God doesn't only want, doesn't want to keep you naked? The Bible, Paul, he says, it's not that God wants to strip us and make us naked. It's that he wants to further clothe us. But he wants to clothe us in glory. You see, we try to, we try to cover ourselves with these, these weird, shameful things. I like this shirt, but I'm not just calling out my shirt, just... Spiritually speaking, right? We try to cover ourselves with these shameful things, right? We try to mask it. But actually, this is my mentality. Wait a minute. If God already sees me naked and exposed, why the heck am I trying to hide it? I might as well just come before him naked and exposed, you know? Like, you already see me like that, so what's the point, you know? <laughs> because uh, really, right? Like, why do I have to hide my weaknesses and my flaws when you... Already see my weaknesses and my flaws. But by stepping into the light and just being like, hey, look, God, this is me. I'm naked. I'm exposed. 
that gives me the opportunity for God to clothe me. It gives me the opportunity for God to, oh, yeah, man, don't worry. This one looks better on you, right? You know, James also says the word of God is uh, like a mirror, right? James, James chapter 1. He says, for if anyone is a hearer of the word and, and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Right? The word of God is like a mirror, actually. That's its primary function, actually, right? Paul says, what is, why did God give us the law? He gave us the law so that, we, so that our sins could be exposed for what it is. Without the law, we would not know our sin. And this continues to be the same with the word of God, right? His entire counsel is a mirror and exposes us, right? People say this, if you want to be able to use the word of God as a sword to cut through the things of the enemy and through the things of the world, you have to first let that sword cut through you, right? So this thing is a mirror and it shows us and we have to let the word of God rightly divide between us, because then we can rightly do it for everyone else. If we let it do it within us, then we can actually use it like a sword. If we don't let it do that within us, we're going to use the Bible like a club, and we're going to just be clubbing people in the head. They're not going to find life, right? But if we let it cut in us deeply, the sword, the sword becomes like a surgical tool, cuts where it needs to cut, opens very clean, and you're able to then minister to people's hearts. Right. So how can we be like this sinful woman? We have to let the word of God do its thing. We have to be unashamed of looking at ourselves in the right light. It's better to err on the side of, you know, I'm the worst, than to err on the side of I'm the best, right? It is, because it allows you to at least take that step to see, like, okay, you know, where are my flaws? Right. But it's not, you know, again, we're not trying to keep you there in that place. God wants to bring you up out of it. <clears throat> Passion for Jesus is something that he gives us. It's not something that uh, we necessarily gain on our own. Um, passion for Jesus, what it looks like, it doesn't look passionate at all. Right? It looks like you just reading your Bible and praying. It looks like the normal mundane things. It doesn't look very special. <laughs> right? It just looks like, you know, some crazy guy stereoscope rocking in a seat. <laughs> right? Or this way. <laughs> like Waba Fett. <laughs> it doesn't look like anything crazy. And I've been convicted of this more and more. Like, I think even too, you know why? I think it's also because the kingdom of God um, 
was not meant to actually be so crazy and so extravagant. Um, Jesus says this, the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed, smallest of all seeds, but when it fully grows, it becomes the biggest tree in the garden. The, the kingdom of God is like leaven that a woman hid in three measures of dough, and then it spread throughout the whole thing. The kingdom of God, I, I believe, is actually supposed to be so subtle, so small, right, at first. But it's, it's things done so simply, just simple things. Love Jesus by praying and reading the word. It's these simple things. All of a sudden, it, it spreads like crazy. It's like a cigarette in the middle of a, in the middle of a forest. Right? But what's the cigarette? I'm the cigarette. Right? I'm just this little thing. How, if you have, you know, I can't, I can't light up this whole forest by, by God just throwing me on the ground. But I can light up the things around me. And then the things around me can light up the things around them. And then things around them can light up the things around them. Does that make sense? Not a perfect analogy. But this is what love for Jesus looks like. This woman is one of my heroes because every time I read this story, I always get humbled, <laughs> right? Man, I want to be like her. I want to have this kind of devotion that she has. Even though she's been labeled as the sinner, she didn't let that label and the shame that comes with that label stop her from loving Jesus, right? She didn't let no label from this world stop her. She didn't let herself stop her but it's not because this woman was great no it's because Jesus is so great it's because Jesus showed her a compassion a love a, for, a forgiveness and a power that, that she couldn't find anywhere else and that's what made her great it's Jesus so this is something that Jesus has always done something that Jesus is still doing and something that Jesus is going to keep on doing to the end of this age. And I want us to be like the woman. When we hear stories from the Bible, you know, all these people were meant to be our example, right? When we hear stories from the Bible, when we hear testimonies from people, from uh, missionaries, or maybe even between you guys as the Lord is ministering to you and through you, um, I want us to have this mentality. God, can you do that for me too? God, will you do that for me? And let's just start believing God's gonna, God is doing it for me. Right? I want us to actually take that step into a higher level of faith. Does that make sense? Yeah. So we could have a worship team come up. You know, when, in one of my, the rap that I made after I got saved, I go, uh, 
I'm in a different state of mind. My heart lit a flame, got hit by a semi-truck, and I have never been the same. Rearranged my heart and brain, convicted and felt the pain of the sins that I used to love with the sins that I entertained. Unknown a major transformation changed my life. Understood I'm his creation, opened up my spirit's eyes before I walked in sin. And so I was dead, destined to hell, but now I just walk with him. It's not easy. Nobody said this was a vacation struggle every day, purified through sanctification. Every time that I fall, I picture Christ on the cross, bloody, bruised, and broken, yet I can't stay straight in my walk. Right? And I end it. <laughs> right, I've, I have one part. Like, All the answers of life can be found in a holy book that weighs no more than a couple pounds. What else I say? I also say this, right? Love's like a fire, but the truth is a spark, and the truth hurts, always leaving its mark. You know, um, that's a life, right? That's a life that we're living. Every Sunday, <laughs> ugh, I get cut to the heart. Truth hurts. Leaves its mark, but it's the spark to ignite a fire within us. We live and we are participating in an upside-down countercultural kingdom. This world is against God. This, and our God is against this world. And we shouldn't expect that God would work in the same ways that we would think, according to conventional wisdom. We should think that God will begin to work in godly wisdom. In godly wisdom. My last thing I'm going to say is I'm... I was, I'm reading through the book of Exodus, going paragraph by paragraph. And in, in that book, if you guys are unfamiliar, um, there's a guy named Aaron, and he's the older brother of Moses. And um, God tells Aaron, hey, I want you to throw your staff down, and it's going to become a serpent. Right? And it's going to be proof and evidence that you're from me. Right? Now, Aaron, he goes and he throws his staff down. It turns into a serpent. But then the magicians of Egypt, they do the same exact thing. And the Bible says, according to their secret arts. Kind of weird. I feel like they actually had powers. Now, I ask God, God, why, uh, why, why did you do this? Why did it have to become a serpent of all things? Why don't you, like, transform it into an eagle? Why not, you know, do something else? And I was meditating and asking God. And then God began to speak to me. And he said this. It's because I knew that the magicians could turn their staffs into serpents. I said, huh? He's like, yeah, I knew that they could turn those staffs into serpents. What? And so I made Aaron's staff into a serpent and caused his staff to eat their staffs to show that what they can do means nothing to me because I am the Lord God, the creator, greater than anyone, anything, any power, any principality. I am the Lord God. I knew they could do that. And that's why I met them where they're at, because I proved that I was greater. I got so blown away. You know when Paul, he's like, how, how infinite is the wisdom of God? How unsearchable are his ways. Who would have thought of that? That's crazy. I said, that's crazy. It's the, it's the same with us. God, he works in ways that we don't understand. Face value, we're like, what the heck? Our savior is someone who died. He died as a terrorist, as an insurrectionist. 
yet we worship Him. Have you thought about how crazy that is? Have you thought about how crazy it would have been for people in that time to believe in a Messiah, in a Savior, and a God who got crucified? Have you ever thought to think how crazy that is? And the fact that it spread, the fact that it, it, it was going all across the world, <laughs> that makes no sense. It makes absolutely no sense. But God used what is foolish in this world to shame the wise. Claiming to be wise, people became fools because they sought wisdom not according to the fear of the Lord, but according to their own devices and their own schemes. I, wanna, I want us to come before God in the same way that um, we always have, actually. I feel like my job <laughs> is to remind Christians of how they got saved because if you remember how you got saved, then you actually don't need me to, to tell you things. You don't need me to, although it's good, right? Um, the problem, the reason why Israel kept falling away is because they forgot how God saved them. Yeah. Oh man, I wish I had this quote. But it's in my book and I don't remember it. If you don't want to fall away, remember the Lord your God. What do you remember? Remember how he saved you. Everything is in that. How did I first receive the love of God? The way that you first receive the love of God is the way that you'll always receive the love of God forevermore. It doesn't change. The way that you received mercy and grace was the same from the very beginning that you met Him. It doesn't change. Yet sometimes in this Christian life, we think that it changes. And we think that, ah, oh, I got to do this other thing or this. No, we just have to take it back to the beginning. Take it back to where it all first started. The, the same way that we came to know God and be known by God is the same way that we'll grow deeper in Him as well. Don't deviate from that. And so today, it's just simply that. Remember the Lord your God. Remember how He first came to you. Talk with Him. And be like, man, man I, I remember I, I used to be so full of anger. Pastor Paul hated my guts because he could see how I was so prideful and had so much anger in my life. Pastor Brian called me out. He said, you need to give up your anger. And I was like, ah, what anger? That was me. Can you believe that? I was an angry guy. I don't know if you guys can believe that. I used to be so angry that if someone, I legit did this. Someone cut me off. I ran up to them and I pretended to ram them and I almost caused an accident. I, almost, I did put up the finger. I was like, F you. My bad. I didn't mean to flip you guys off. That was me, right? I don't know if you guys can believe that. You just tell God, man, remember how I was in that and I hated my dad. At 15 years old, I fist fought my dad. And he beat me up too and I Remember how I used to be that person who tried to find my validation in what people thought about me. And I let that define who I am. Man, God, do you remember? Do you remember when you came to me? Do you remember when you came and you 
receive my life. Set me free. We can't forget. We can't forget how he met us. We can't forget the same love that he loved you in the beginning. Is the same love that he loves you with right now. He hasn't changed. It's that we change. But we can't change. We need to stay committed and, and solidified in the word of God and who he says he is. We can't deviate from that. So remember, and if you don't have a relationship with God, I just, I just pray for you. I, I pray that you would hear the story of this woman and that you would follow in suit with this woman and, and just say, like, God, I, if you did it for that person, you've done it for me. So if you could take this time and just, just pray with God. And just present ourselves to be honest before him to let his light shine and let, let his word pierce our heart. It doesn't have to be anything crazy. Sometimes I just am silent. But let's just open our hearts to him and let him minister to us. Let's pray.